Hello everyone, welcome to BYOB. You all know what that stands for by now, but if it is your first time joining us, bring your own blockbuster, uh, where we go through a classic film from the archive and just break it down, tear the meat off the bones and get stuck into all of the good stuff. I'm Ben Haynes and alongside me, um, what word should I use? A, a, a titan of the podcast game. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Hussey, how are you, sir? Is a Titan better than a BMF, or is it sort of similar ballpark? Do you if feel we like we should be evolving this? every week? <laughs> should be getting well, I don't more know. more I feel like, You know, like Pokemon, they got better, didn't they? So you know, yeah, I so kind of feel like you're kind of like a Charizard this week. <laughs> I mean, in in reality, I'm more of a Snorlax, and he doesn't evolve at all. So there you go. Yeah, oh you know? mate, I'm that is such a good. I actually think that's kind of like a bit of a spirit animal for me now. That we have oh, been speaking time. a lot before the podcast start about the importance of sleep. Which is such a conversation for ball bags like us that have just <laughs> aged and got to work. No, no, I do like getting eight hours. You're right. I do like getting eight hours. I like so getting eight bad. hours and going for a walk the next day. You know, it's quite <laughs> yeah, nice. I, I mean, I'm taking a piss. Like, that's genuinely, that's genuinely the, my life. The I plan love it. for Sunday. I was actually yeah. going to go for a walk today. And they're like yeah. a really good roast. Yeah. <laughs> it's such like a, an old man thing. But I love all that kind of stuff. I never used to like walking as a kid. I used to hate it. If my parents said we're going for a walk, I'd be yeah. like, bollocks to your walk. Yeah, <laughs> but they still forced you to do it, and now you kind of appreciate it. And now right? I'm like, oh, I love a good walk. Yeah, see a I bit know. of nature. Oh, delicious. Um, we, we should <laughs> we, we should get on to where have you been to the cinema this week? Because you've had quite a quite a profound experience. I have been to the cinema. Um, I've, I've seen a couple of things. So I first of all want to give a quick shout out to Rye Lane. Right, if anybody, uh... honestly, brilliant. I won't talk about it too much because I don't want to sort of big it up too much. I just want people to go and go and watch it. Go and support like small kind of British made movies. It's one of the best depictions I would say of London I've ever seen in film. Honestly, it feels for anybody that's lived in and around London or spent some time there, you'll get what I mean because just they've captured the sort of mood of the city and and just the look, the aesthetic, all of it, the feel of it is just so bang on. Um, and if you're fond of like um, Linklater's before trilogy, especially before Sunrise, it's like it's yeah, it's it's spot on. It's, I'm gonna go and watch that, mate. Brilliant. You've you've, you've sold it to me. I'm I'm all over that. So that was the upside. That was the upside. The the one I wanted to talk about more in depth because you'd watched it last week, and yeah. so I thought, okay, do you know what? I'm, I'm gonna watch John Wick because I I love the first John Wick. I really liked the second John Wick. Third one, I liked. And I'd heard a lot of good stuff about John Wick 4. I didn't love it, mate. I didn't really even like it that much. Um, go on, go on. No, 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 no. I just, um, um, what was it about it that didn't, didn't catch you? Can I say, like, the, the main, so the length of the film for me was something of an issue, but whatever, I, I, I kind of get it. They're kind of, they're wrapping up the series now and I know the director said he just wants his vision out there fine I get it a lot of people said that they didn't feel like it was a kind of pushing sort of three-hour movie I really did I really felt that and I wasn't I wasn't aware that it was going to go on that long I, I caught like a 9 p.m showing or eight like an 8 45 sort of showing and I was thinking okay this will be hour and a half two hours and it's getting to like midnight and I'm like Oh my god! How and I actually and I hate doing this. I'm sorry. I apologise to everyone. I know it's a cardinal sin of the cinema. I took my phone out, turned the screen brightness right down because I just wanted to see how long the film was. 
two hours forty seven minutes, and I was like, oh god, man, this is this is long. You're but, you're a way better man than me for admitting that. I did exactly the same thing, and I was worried that the 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 kickback of of admitting that out loud that I might be cancelled. <laughs> Cinema cancelled. I, I got just, my phone out. I just yeah, but I just I had to because I I wasn't. I don't think I was prepared, number one, for the film to be that long, right? So I, I don't know if you know what I mean, but in your head, you've kind of got an, an internal pacing system yeah, yeah, where you're yeah. like, okay, so this is, we're in this arc, we're in this part of the arc now, and it'll be going on from here. So I need to sort of prepare myself for this. But it felt like it kept going up, down, up, down. And I get that. That's the sort of frenetic energy of a John Wick movie. Again, I don't really have an issue with that. My biggest issue, mate, to, to get to the point that you originally asked me, my biggest issue with this film was, honestly, I thought it was a totally joyless film. I found it so bleak and so miserable that it was just, it was hard to get into because I just, I, honestly, I found it really depressing. I felt yeah. really sad watching the film because, like I say, it was just so bleak. It was so bleak. Um, and, and the, the I mean, I can sort of go into a few of the action set pieces and stuff which are, are you know they're fantastically choreographed as as is always the case they're brilliant um but again a bit long i found myself sort of thinking watch i shouldn't be watching these incredibly kind of choreographed sequences and thinking when is this bit going to end just that nagging feeling in my in the back of my mind of like this is just dragging a bit you know yeah well i mean are we allowed to are we allowed to do spoilers here if we put a little spoiler alert up or some like I'll, I'll, Purdy, you can insert a Kill Bill style <laughs> siren to let people know that spoilers are coming. Now but, he's thinking, oh, great, more work for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was hoping to just publish this one, you twats. <laughs> but, um, okay, so I will, I will I'll spoil a bit, but there was something that kind of caught me, and you kind of alluded to it there when you said it was so up and down in parts and kind mm. of almost like recycling things. I got really excited at this point when I heard this um, song by Genesis come on called, I think it's called Justice. Mm. And he, he gets onto the, he's going to Sacre-Cœur, he gets onto the stairs and he has to fight his way up the stairs to Sacre-Cœur. And like the song comes on and I was like, oh, the pace of the film has just picked up. We're actually moving now. Cause I actually felt a lot of it was quite slow. Even yeah. though there's so much action, I felt like there was a lot of slow stuff. And then suddenly this song kicks in like, yes, we're getting to the finale. And like you said, in my mind, the pacing system had told me, I was like, we're, we're, we're moving quite slowly here. There's a lot of set pieces that this director clearly has decided like, I am doing this. You're getting this set piece, whether you like it or not, this is bloody happening. And then we finally got towards the top of the steps and I'm like, right, we're getting to the crescendo. And they make this gag about him falling down the like three million steps of the, uh, of the get that lead to the sacred curve. Yeah. And people in the cinema kind of like laughed and we're like, ha ha ha, that's quite funny. And then at the same time, as you saw him stumbling down to the very bottom, there was almost like a bit of a groan. Because it was like, oh, he's going to have to go all the way back up again and we're going to have to do this dance again. And so I, I, I'm, I'm completely with you. I thought it was really long. I thought it was... It, three hours felt like too much for a film like that. For a film like that, I feel like you've got to get in, tell me what I need to kind of 
that I, I I'm going to need to experience in order to get the payoff from this film and then get out again. I don't feel like a film that deserves three hours. You know. Can Can, can I ask you? Because one thing that I felt that struck me really is that I know that John Wick has always been kind of centered in a. It's always centered in a in a real world, but an alternative timeline, yeah. right? That sure. that's kind of the the thing of it, but. Does it feel to you like, because it really felt to me, especially in this fourth one, that it was way more abstract than like the first couple were? Big time. And and I felt like this one went so much further with the kind of ridiculousness of things. Even even though the, the whole thing has been ridiculous since moment one, this one just felt like, like you said, it felt like the director had gone to that point where it was like, oh, by the way, we're going to take the idea of the kind of like bulletproof suit and go on to another level it, right. with it. Like where the point where people are getting shot point blank in the head and the bullets just bounce off them. It's like, right, okay. You know, because there was that setup in, I forget which one it was in, there was a setup where they were in the, the train station and they were kind of like firing shots at each other. This was, a, I think it might be number two, but they're firing shots at each other and they're kind of like trying to avoid this, the shots kind of thing and occasionally the bullets might hit the the suit or whatever in this it kind of goes it goes from a fairly kind of pacey start to into just uh, honestly at times ridiculousness and that's why i said last week as i came away from the cinema i kind of appreciated it more because i i like you had gone in with the wrong mindset or not the the wrong mindset but with a mindset of what i was going in for so I assume you thought you were probably going in for 90 minutes to, to, to kind of right. 120 yeah. minutes. Exactly that. And I, I just, I wanted to note this one point. Um, one of our listeners, James at JMS78, because I was talking to him about this on, on Twitter and he made a really good point on John Wick 4 that he was just basically saying that he's found that as the world has gotten bigger, it's diluted the joy of the series. Yes. That, that they used to, that they were so direct and kinetic and they moved with real purpose but he said this just left me feeling like can we just move on with this already and that i think that sort of that that just nails it like you're saying they're like the length of it the, the world of it, it does just dilute that concentrated amazing action one other thing I, d- I did wonder as well um this is just a side note but i do wonder if and this is this isn't like i'm not digging him out for this this is just what happens it's just one of my thoughts I noticed that um, Keanu Reeves in this one in particular, most of his action basically centred around him shooting people using a gun. And I, I was just wondering if that's basically old father time catching up with him a bit, that he can't do as much of the martial arts stuff anymore. He's not really. young, is he? He's not no. young. He's, got been, he's in his 50s now, yeah, right? Yeah, I think he's, I yeah, think yeah. he's in his late 50s. And he looks incredible. I mean, he looks incredible, spectacular for it, doesn't he? Jesus, if I was 50 and looked like 58. that. 58, 58. Yeah. I thought it was, I mean, that is just insane, isn't it? And I mean, a lot of the gun stuff does feel, it feels a lot less physical, doesn't it? It feels a lot Mm. more kind of like he's using agility and and things like that. But yeah, no, that that could quite possibly be it. And and to your point before about James's tweet, I, I totally agree. I think the strength of the early films was that you kind of just landed in this space and they said, here's here's the world it begins here and it ends here and that's where we're going to do the film and films like this really benefit from having those bookends because it doesn't it, it means it can never really go outside of the confines of that and that the, the plot and the action takes place within this limited space 
and I think the risk that you run then when you expand out these sort of universes as such is that people are just like, where where does this end? You know, mm. where, where, this could go, this is sort of infinite. And, and that is when it starts to feel ridiculous because you start to get into that space of kind of just infinite killing, you know, and you don't even care about the, there's no risk to the character. No peril, right? yeah. no real peril. Well, that, and that's why Kill Bill was so good. Yeah. Because it always felt like there was that element of, peril there and there was an end to where things doesn't matter how many people she killed there was still kind of a there was an arc that it was on i couldn't work out what the arc was in this anyway one thing i do quickly want to say like whilst dunking on him and dunking on the movie i I do have to say like anybody that is cynical about keanu reeves and him being a good guy just needs to get in the bin the guy is obviously had you seen that clip legend. that did the rounds yeah. this week of him carrying the stuff yeah. and, and people, you, like, it, it did so much for me seeing that you've got so many people contorting themselves to be like or oh, actually um he's being so he's trying to look good and what he's actually causing is a health and safety fuck get in the bin man <laughs> bore off man like he's a good guy not only from you know if you if you're looking at things like the 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 matrix resurrection movie when he donated his salary to like the crew from various other things he's done like that in the past giving money to charity helping kind of crew members who are hard up and stuff like that he's just looking he's got a long history of doing this type of thing yeah. he's a good guy man like yeah. he is a good guy like you just don't giving need to overcomplicate his stuff as well like yeah he's Little a good like guy yeah, I totally agree. And it was really boiling my piss this week when I was seeing people being like, oh, he's just carrying a suitcase. I'm like, yeah, you man. have, if that's what you believe, that, that what that represents is him just carrying a suitcase or him just carrying some kit up the steps, to me, it, it really moved me. And I, I did think, I wonder if you had seen it as well, because I don't think you're ever too big to make a cup of tea for someone else and I don't think you're ever too big to carry the kit. The moment that you think that you are, that's when you're in, that's when you're in, in trouble and you've, you, you've, your head's too far up your own backside. But, but, not, not naming any names, but you and I have both worked with people who will have, what, a couple of hundred thousand YouTube subscribers who act like they are completely above you. Yeah. This is Keanu Reeves getting in the mud and helping people. Like, he's a good, he's a good bloke, you know? Yeah, like, man. It, it's just... It's just the bottom line, right? Yeah, like, and you don't have to be so cynical. Not like we don't have to. Sometimes it, you can just do a nice thing. <laughs> like what, that what, what's, but the thing is, what's the benefit? He's he's fifty eight years old. He's one of <laughs> Hollywood's biggest stars. This whole he's just doing this to 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 do what? To be what? An even bigger star? What what are you want yeah. about? The guy was in the Matrix, like yeah, literally era defining films. Like, you know what are you on about? What's yeah. he getting from it? He's just been a good guy. I don't know. Rant over. But, well, I'm glad know. we put the asterisk in because I re- that is such a. I, I felt exactly the same this week um, when I when I saw that. And also, we should just say that that tweet from James is obviously that's a, a, a brilliant response. But it's one of many we've had this week. I don't know about you. I felt so since we dropped the the first pod out, which was uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. It's been so lovely seeing so many people kind of say. Oh, I really enjoyed this, and it made me go back and rewatch it. And I watched it in a different way. You know, it was, I don't know how you felt, but it's, I, I, it's given it. it's me great. such a lovely energy this week. So thank you, yeah, for everyone that is, you know, listening to it and sharing it, and yeah, just enjoying it. Basically, I think that's kind of the the biggest thing we want to sort of tap into, right? Isn't it? You know, just people just enjoying films and not 
having to we both talk about football mostly for a living you know yeah <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's it's tearing lumps out of everything <laughs> every team every player it's just quite nice to actually be talking about something i really do enjoy and i don't have to like caveat completely with uh stuff and yeah. um, we should do we should point out we will Eloquent. do a mailbag episode like we'll yeah, do yeah. we'll do an episode where we get stuck into as many comments as possible so like keep them coming in and do please get in touch because we're kind of desperate to have that interaction with as many many people as possible and and as we said on multiple episodes now jack and i see these films so so differently at times that there's probably infinite versions of the way that people have experienced those films so do please get in touch and that kind of neatly segues us in to this week's film, which was... It was... That's me doing a drum roll on my table. Hey, <laughs> Casino <Sorry>, Royale. <laughs> Casino Royale, but the 20... 2004 film. Not the old, like, spoof one that they yeah. did in the 60s. And why'd you pick it? I picked it because uh, I'd been talking, actually, to my to my brother-in-law about it. He, he was over from LA, and... Uh, we were just talking about kind of Bond and movies and stuff, and he was just, yeah, we just got talking about Casino Royale, and I thought, you know what, I want to watch that again. Can we shout uh, out your brother-in-law, sorry, because uh, he's so far, like, he's put some, been someone who's put some such lovely feedback on the pod, I feel like we should give him a big nod. Hello, James Hamilton, there you go, yeah, if you are <laughs> listening. If you are, you better be listening. Yeah, um, bloody hope so. Yeah, we'll, we'll get him on at some point. Defo. So... Um, yeah, but so I just thought, yeah, that would be a good one, and I, I felt like, you know what, actually... The Bond franchise, the aura around Bond, there's 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 a lot to dig into there, and I think Casino Royale and let's say the the Craig era, yeah, it's uh it's taken a bit of a turn that I'm sure we will will go into over the course of this pod. I, uh, I just yeah. felt there was a lot. I thought there was a lot to go into. Yeah, know? there is. This is this not is just a... Daniel Craig coming out the sea in his pants either. You know? <laughs> there is a lot to get into with that as well. Blimey, uh, <laughs> it, 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 this is it. You're right. It is the it's the start of an era, isn't it? This this kind of this first one. It is. So as I pick this, Ben, um, and I know you know, I know you are something of a Bond stan. I'm expecting. Yeah. I'm expecting something good from from this 60 second synopsis from you, my friend. So I'm going to try my, my best uh, here. Try and get my stopwatch get... up. Because last time, Silence of the Lambs, I think that was probably the best one we've had so far. You you absolutely nailed it. So well, you, you know, I did. You know, I just... yeah, cool. yeah. Um, you, you, know. <laughs> you tell me when when to go, and I'll fly <laughs> through this. All right, then I'll give you a three, and a two, and a one. Go. So, uh, Daniel Craig's first outing as James Bond, and this is essentially the starting point for his kind of um, his character arc as, as James Bond. We're introduced to the main baddie of the film, Le Chiffre, who is essentially a terrorist banker at the very start of the film. He uses terrorist acts to kind of essentially short the stock market and make loads of money so that he can then be a kind of safe haven for dirty money for terrorists. Bond manages to foil one of these attacks, which leaves Le Chiffre massively out of pocket and owing money to some seriously bad guys, which is a really interesting kind of um, plot twist for a Bond villain. It's very different. Um, and that gets us into the main thrust of the film. Le Chiffre needs to get this money back, so he arranges a high-stakes poker game, which Bond is the best poker player in, in the service of MI, MI, MI6, uh, enters into the game using the money from the British Treasury, which is provided by Vesper Lind, played by Eva uh, Green. No! Was that 60 there seconds? There you go, that was 60 seconds, mate. 
Oh my god, that was dreadful. Well, that was brilliantly. That was brilliantly. Like you were basically painting the film. It was great. What a what a pile of rubbish. <laughs> I got I got to about the first game of cards, which is about forty five <laughs> minutes into the film. <laughs> What a barrel of rubbish! But I mean, what a film! I it, it just it, there is so much in this that I absolutely loved. And I mean, one of the things that I kind of di- didn't even sort of get anywhere near was just the fact that ultimately um, the ending of this film is essentially like someone putting the seal or putting the stamp on on uh, a James Bond film and saying Daniel Craig is. James Bond, you know, mm-hmm. which is lovely. What did you make of it, mate? So there's a lot. There's a lot to. Where do we begin, mate? Where do we That's begin? Such a good question. With Casino Royale. I tell, I tell you what. I think one of the one of the most sort of pertinent things to raise, really. First up, because I, I think there's a lot to talk about on this subject, is the Bond timeline. Right is is the continuation of Bond to Bond? Is it a code name? Is it not? That I, I want to focus on that a bit more later. But in terms of this Bond timeline, having seen No Time to Die, and spoiler alert, I think everybody will have seen that by now. <laughs> James Bond's death—the first time James Bond has died on screen. No Time to Die. I watched Casino Royale again, knowing what was to come. And it suddenly made so much more sense to me that what they had done, in my opinion anyway, is draw a line in the sand and say, this isn't a continuation of everything else. Casino Royale is the first James Bond story. This is a reboot of James Bond. And what we are doing is we are telling the story of James Bond start to finish. The Craig era in isolation is its own entire thing. And I think that if you, when when you suddenly when you view it through that lens, I suddenly started watching this film in isolation of like, oh my god, they are completely now from this point giving James Bond the character the franchise a total rebirth. They are they're deconstructing almost like scene by scene, especially in the first say third the first act of the film. They are deconstructing all those old kind of Bond idiosyncrasies, you know, all the little things that make Bond Bond, they almost do it piece by piece. They literally make a point of flipping all the old Bond archetypes on their head. And I think it would be quite good to go through that to talk about all those different things, if if, if you agree with me, mate, on, mate. on this theme. So I do, 100% I do. And I, I certainly agree that this is, it feels almost um, wrong to call this a kind of micro series, but this is a series of five films within itself. Yeah. And it has a very clear beginning and an end. Um, and I think you're right um, that it all of the different, elements that make up the classic formula for a James Bond film are in this in this film alone but definitely over the course of those five films are kind of um put under a microscope analyzed and 
I mean, we'll have a right good sort out when we get to find one or war crime on on this <laughs> one. But, but it, they're, they're kind of put under a microscope and analysed and almost presented to an audience in a way that's like, so what do you make of that? You know, like here we are in, in, in this new era. Like this is now where this series sits in comparison to where it has been for what 40 years i think it was the i think um die another day was the 40th anniversary of of bond and die another day was like pierce brosnan's last bond film was it had got to a point where things were just silly it it got stupid you know and and how did it get there though you know like how did because goldeneye for example was still a silly old Bond movie. Die Another Day, still a kind of silly old Bond movie, right? World is not enough, getting sillier. But uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, quite silly. Oh, well. Tomorrow Never Dies is yeah. the one I was thinking of. Sorry, that's, yeah. that was one after GoldenEye, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all about dying and days. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, so very similar <laughs> themes. But I think it's better that's... than Oct- Octopussy, isn't it? <laughs> but still. <laughs> I mean, and that was... Uh, yeah, I mean... The, there's so much to get into those classic ones, which I, I definitely want to bring up later on. But to your point, yes, I do agree that um, this has absolutely gone into a micro series and it's bookended what there are some issues that I have with that that have caused me sort of room for concern as someone that loves the James Bond films. Let's. Uh, I, I tell you what. So let, I, I think one of the one of the good places to start with, right? I remember when this film came out. I, rem- I remember quite well when this film came out, and I remember number one. One of the big issues was the casting of Daniel Craig, Huge. James Bond, yeah. having always been seen as the kind of the suave, dark-haired, quite slender man who can sink in effortlessly at a cocktail party and, do you know what I mean, operate within the shadows. It was espionage. He was... The milk tray man was kind of based on James yeah, Bond, yeah, you yeah. know, that type of thing. Suddenly, we have this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, absolutely stacked brute of a man in Daniel Craig assuming the role of James Bond, who we see on screen viscerally drowning a man in like in a bathroom in a sink filling up a sink and drowning him and i just remember people just being like this is not james bond this is not bond this is not it it's brutal it's ultra violent he doesn't look like bond he looks like a weightlifter or like a boxer no 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 you know and like when you say when you compare it to brosnan which came just a few years before, what four four years before Daniel Craig, the last mm. Brosnan movie. Yeah, it's 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 the Day evolution night, is stark. So it's yeah. stark because Brosnan was a clear evolution from all the older Bonds. You know, I think things got a bit dark. They 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 dipped their toe in the water with the Timothy Dalton era, and yeah. it didn't go down well. People just didn't they weren't ready for it, right? So they pulled it back with Pierce Brosnan. I think they they rolled back the years a bit. They made it a bit more more Connery esque. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that but kind of this, classic. 
sort of old school gun with a silencer yeah. on very suave kind of moving through the kind of the different scenes with a with a kind of like a, 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 a fish hook in his eyebrow sort of thing you know kind of almost a bit kind of like he was a bit silky wasn't he pierce brosnan yeah so how do you i'm interested to know how you because i think in the way of like because I've always enjoyed, I think everybody, right? I think most, okay, most people, I think, have enjoyed a Bond movie in in a certain way. It's it's such a like British institution, right? It was such a like camp type thing that would be on on a Saturday. You could always guarantee, basically, Saturday afternoon, especially in the nineties, yeah. yeah. there'd be a Bond movie on on ITV or something like that. There yeah. just always would be. And when you're a kid, those long sort of weekend afternoons. Before you kind of going out, you'd sit and watch a Bond movie. You'd sit and watch one with your parents. And they're just there. They're embedded in the psyche of of the country, I think, in, in many, many ways. Yeah. And so on, on that level, even when I heard of like Daniel Craig and I saw him and I remember like thinking, it doesn't really feel like a Bond. You know, right. it, doesn't, it doesn't really feel like it. But then I'll be honest, when I watched it, because I loved the Bourne movies and I think the Bourne movies their popularity and their success probably had quite a big effect on on where the Bond franchise went. And so watching kind of Daniel Craig in action, I was suddenly like, I'm here for this. I don't I don't care about all the kind of things change. And when you when that when that kind of when you kind of get rid of that uncomfortable feeling that things change, you can start to enjoy it. And and I did and I, I have very much so. But what what do you make of it? Like, I am really intrigued to know. Yeah, so um, this is a really interesting one for me because in in my mind, in in the way that I picture James Bond, it is it's got deep attachment. As you rightly said, it's got deep attachment to me for of a kind of like previous era of being a kid watching a James Bond film. I would often record them sorry to kind of age myself and you and and uh also kind of show once again that purdy is infinitely younger than us producer purdy um but i used to record any times of james bond film on i couldn't wait to watch it so i would get a vhs and i would whack it in the in the video player and record the james bond films and i'd collect them one by one every time they were on I would record it on a VHS and then create because I, I mean, that buying videos and buying films was so expensive that it, it was like twenty quid for a videotape or whatever, yeah, yeah. fifteen twenty quid. And when you sort of think about that in the nineties or or, or or whatever, the eighties, the nineties, twenty pounds was just a stupid amount. It's one of these. Well, it's things, probably about fifty quid now, right? Hundred percent. And like, if you ever went round to a mate's house who was a rich kid they would have like almost like a bookshelf of videos and yeah. i would be unbelievably envious of 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 people that had loads of films to watch you'd get a video for christmas right yeah. like uh, and yeah. you'd watch it until the color Buzzing. ran out of it yeah yeah and you'd be and and there might be a couple of little features on the end of it you know that were like two or three minute little features they'd made with the director yeah. or something and i couldn't wait so i was kind of like building my own library of these bond films you know so it does have like a deep attachment for me to my to my childhood and and so bond for me had these characteristics there was a formula for a bond film that you had to stick to and so there was there was a part of me that was a little bit like oh daniel craig that's an interesting choice but 
and there is a huge butt here. Layer well, cake. there is indeed. Yeah, <laughs> very juicy bunda in this. Um, but l- layer, c- layer cake was 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 one of my favourite films. It is one of my favourite films. I loved layer yeah. cake. So because of that, I was like, just give this guy a go. I, 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 I wasn't I wasn't looking for Henry Cavill. I wasn't looking for kind of some of the other names that were touted around at the time. I was like. Daniel Craig, yeah, I'm up for a bit of this. Let's see where this goes. And I was kind of, I was open to the idea of Daniel Craig doing something. But my God, the physical transformation that he went through. I mean, is this, are we skipping ahead too far if we get on to talking about the scene of him coming out of the ocean? Do you want to save that for a bit? We're we're, we're, we're there, aren't we, mate? Go on. Okay, so him coming out of the water immediately flips a classic Bond sort of, kind of like some people might say it's a cliche but it's a classic bond formula moment right the love interest in the film an absolutely stunning woman kind of erupts out of the water and there's been so many iterations of it yeah. there was ursula undress who did it first in doctor no and i think that was 1962 and then they, they sort of repeated it with halle berry and die another day on the on the sort of um the 40th anniversary of bond so they were f- immediately flipping it on his head the idea of James Bond kind of erupting out of the water and him not being this very kind of like fell, elegant, suave. It was a brute of a bloke coming out of the water. And he's thick, you know, he's not lean. He's not sitting there with an eight pack. He is absolutely stacked. And and I I don't want to steal your point here, but you said to me earlier on, it's like practical strength. You know? Yeah, yeah. He looks like a double R'd SAS dude. Yeah, you know, you that's wouldn't the want to get into a scrap the, with him. N- no, the sort of geezer that knows, okay, I need a bigger upper body for hand-to-hand combat and for climbing. And do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's functional, isn't it? That's yeah. the thing. And, and, and I just want to point out here, Roger Moore was, in a view to a kill, wearing a girdle to keep his stomach in. when you actually think about that as a proposition he was pushing like 55 or something and he was literally having to wear spanks to make sure that he could get into the suit like this was at that moment in particular and as you say the the scene at the beginning of him having this very physical hand-to-hand combat with someone and, and like drowning them in a sink this was a this was kind of like we're entering into a new era now. This is a guy who's going to be gritty. He's going to make you... I mean, there is the line, made you feel it, did he? And it kind of gives you a, 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 a steer on where this was going to go. So I wasn't nervous about Daniel Craig because of layer cake, but I was interested to see where this was where this was going to go. And I guess, I suppose one of the questions I was going to ask you is, what did you make of those kind of examinations of the little bits of like what a bond film is being kind of tweaked and then reimagined i guess did that work for you or were there bits of it where you were like oh not sure look it's it's i think there are bits when it's it's very on the nose but i don't mind it because i think the the whole point was kind of like it was it was always giving a nod to what bond was it was fan servicing which i think is great and i think it is you know, you can't completely take something away. You, you you know, you can't completely turn Bond into something else, right? You you can you can make it change and you can make it adapt with the times and 
what have you. And I think it's it's right that they do that. But at the same time, people go to watch a Bond movie because exactly that. You can call it a Bond movie. You know what you're going to watch. You want to see him in a tuxedo. You want to see him kind of, you know, with his kind of like funny dialogue and his back and forth and flirting with women and that type of stuff, you know. It's 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 what it's all about. It's it's international espionage, right? So you, you, you can't remove that entirely, but I think it doesn't mean that that can't change, that can't evolve. So other sort of little bits and pieces I I, I noticed in terms of the, the, let's say the deconstruction of the Bond character. On the theme of Daniel Craig being the brute, right? The the kind of the more of a soldier. Bond, he's, com- they, and they call him Commander Bond throughout the Craig era so often as well. So they're really making that point that he's a soldier. He's he's a fighter. He's a he's a he's a weapon of destruction, an agent of chaos or whatever. <laughs> and it, it, so say when I don't know, I don't want to jump ahead to this bit. We'll, we'll for example, when M right at the very beginning of it keeps telling him he has to shelf his ego. He needs to think about kind of the 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 good of everything. It's it's kind of good because it is giving that nod to the fact that like you know this kind of this aura that Bond always had throughout the films where he could do no wrong, even when you know he's killing people or being a kind of chauvinistic pig and on stuff like foreign that. soil, like it, it, just yeah. ca- causing international crimes. Like so, they they do that. They they give that nod to it, but then it's nice because in almost like and it was charlotte that notices like the scene immediately after m's just yeah he's broken into m's house and she said you know forget your ego the next scene is him in the bahamas and the guy thinks he's a valet and throws the key at him yeah do you know what i mean he's like park it up and even though he was he was doing what he did with the car to obviously get security out he enjoyed he enjoyed the fact that that guy had been an arrogant piece of shit to him yeah. and treated him like shit because he thought he was a valet. And so when he does crash the car and he sees the guy having a meltdown on the security camera, he still has that little laugh to himself. So there is still that bit of him that you kind of... He's making clear Bond is never going to fully shelve his ego. Yeah. He's still always going to have it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's that's what I like. They kind of they, they balance on that line. The point I was going to make that I said I didn't want to jump ahead to was... Again, this is on kind of sort of Bond's brutishness. Is when he is first going to go into the casino, and he's just like, "I oh, just wear a suit." Because the Bond thing is, he's effortlessly suave, he's smooth, he's sophisticated, he gets it. But in this one, he's a soldier. <clears throat> he is a soldier, and so the suit he chooses, Vesper is like, "I want you to dress like you belong here." You know, <laughs> like yeah. you're going to look out of place in that sort of like very one plus one equals two kind of get up that you've got off the rack from M&S or something. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Like, but this this is a really interesting thing as well. And I think uh, Charlotte's point is so accurate. I mean, lose your ego. We cut to him in the Bahamas driving, I think, a Ford Mondeo. Yeah. You know, like that is yeah. so. And I remember there was a big discussion at the time. About was like, how on earth have they allowed this to be the case? Bond driving a kind of like very basic car, you know, and then he goes on to essentially rob an Aston Martin off of. So it's not like he just has an Aston Martin lying around. No. He literally like essentially steals it in a game of poker from some. But again, it's the, it's the old DB6, right? They they have the nods. They do the fan servicing. 
You know? Yeah. So that that's one of the things that I found really interesting is that while, while they're trying to do this new era, while they're trying to get into this new era, it felt like they were very cognizant that they would have to carry fans with them. So they would almost be like they would they would start um, they would start going into a, a new bit of territory and then occasionally they would just glance in the rearview mirror to make sure that everyone was coming along for the ride so they would go oh and here's an absolutely stunning woman who's just going to be riding a horse along the, the beach and looking incredible and then th- they would be like right okay now we're going to go for this kind of like I don't know, brutish fight sequence, but like you said, we'll have him kind of on looking at the security cameras, having a little chuckle to himself that he's managed to pull one over or get one over on the the kind of the the people who are being a bit sort of not disrespectful, but people who were kind of looking down on him. So we'd always have that kind of sarcasm and that cheekiness. And then we'll have the Ford Mondeo, but we'll also have the the Aston Martin that kind of rocks up as well. And we'll have the we'll have the kind of um the henchman. We'll have him have the fight with the henchman. But we'll also make sure that the baddie is someone that actually has a little bit more of a three dimensional character. You know, so we'll, we'll do a big one. We'll do the gun barrel sequence at the beginning of the film, but we'll align it with him actually killing the first person that he's ever killed. You yeah. know, so you do get the gun barrel sequence, which scratches that itch for Bond fans. I, I mean, for me, the gun barrel thing is is it, it's such a huge part of of Bond films. I don't know why it was just like burned into my psyche. Them, there is this order of service that you must go by. You must follow the hymn sheet. Like you have to follow this and tick these boxes in order for me to be satisfied as a Bond fan. And the reason why this is so good is because it does all of those things. But at the same time, it goes, do you know what? Let's unpack some other stuff and evolve this and take this in a direction, which means that you can have all of those old things, but we can bring you some new stuff as well. And you don't feel underserved. But and I, I do like we'll we'll focus on this more. Like you're saying, the gun barrel scene. I think what is also very conscious that they've done, they don't play the gun barrel music until no. the very end of the film. Oh, mate! I, I, like, listen, the end of the film. Like the end of the film. I, I when I watched it back, I got I, I got goosebumps. I literally got the hairs on the back of my neck standing up of just the. Do you know as as you sort of realise that the theme tune's about to play? You're like, yeah, this is. This is like this is absolutely iconic. Iconic. It's so good. Sorry, I, I've skipped miles ahead there, but but no, no, no. It's 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 fine. Yeah, it's, it's all kind of like another another little nod as well that I wanted to do is that when he is in the casino and they ask him, yeah, shaken or stirred, he's like, doesn't matter. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, like it's yeah. nice. It's just yeah, a kind yeah, of yeah. again that shows his like he's a, he's a, he is this brute. It's still it's yeah. kind of like that's who he is at that point. Um, one, I, I tell you what, one of the because I think we've got a lot to talk about because you've you've touched on it in terms of like with Craig coming out of the sea, replacing the old trope of it being the Bond girl that comes out of the sea, and this whole theme of his relationship with women essentially is complete. I think that's one of the biggest things that's, that's completely the rule book is torn up right in this one. The introduction of Vesper, it, it, it changes everything. Should right? we do the train scene? Do you want to? Do you want to? Because I know you love this scene. This is a this is a big one for you, isn't it? I did. I did love it. Um, I think right. So there's a lot to go into with Vesper, right? Isn't there? It's it's 
And there's a lot to go into how this shapes the character of James Bond um, and who he is and what he is. I think, so watching it back, I can understand how somebody, if somebody new, say somebody younger than us, listens to this and watches back Casino Royale and we've said... I think this was great. This was really progressive, this scene between Vesper and Daniel and James Bond because she's kind of a more empowered woman. She, you know, doesn't dress in a way to entice James Bond or anything like that. She speaks to him on a level as an equal. People will be like, so? But I think the, the real context to this is at this time, the whole James Bond industry was basically, you know, love it as we did i think we can we can all say it was built on a on an air of chauvinism right it really really was the rest (laughs) yeah right it was women fawning over him constantly it was this it was this it was irresistible it it was just this insane male fantasy wasn't it it? yeah roger moore is nearly 60 and this i think the, the 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 character who played the sorry the, the actress who played Stacy I forget her surname in 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 the film was kind of early twenties you know and it's yeah, like yeah. and it was ge- it was genuinely portrayed that this guy who's in his like late fifties or early sixties in or the whatever, ski lodge right yeah was yeah. It, 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 it was quite grim isn't it yeah, like irresistible to this young woman who's barely an adult you know it, it like it got into a fairly sketchy place but you're, you're sorry i died i interrupted you there which is a bad, terrible time to do because you want to a brilliant point is that young people will probably look at it and be like really this is what you call progress but to bring a female character into the franchise that was an equal was this was probably one of the first times that it happened right yeah in in as pronounced a fashion not just kind of a little nod to it here and there um and i like the not so much it's it's not it doesn't take place in this in this uh train scene but there's a bit that made me laugh a lot that i hadn't that i'd missed completely i can't remember which bond film is it is it's one of the old roger moore ones it might be moonraker when he goes to visit dr goodhead dr Have goodhead seen... is moonraker yeah ah, yeah a woman, Dr. Good... <laughs> a woman. yeah you know it's and such that's... an awful line you're like when yeah you, you watch it back you're like did he really just say a woman. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. Like, a woman. It's a, and James, if you are listening, that uh, that's a shout out to you. This is my, my brother-in-law, James. He oh, always brilliant. does an impression of that all the time. So it's, also, it's a woman, but her name is Dr. Goodhead. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, it's, honestly, come on. Yeah, and the raise of the eyebrow and all this. And I like the little playful nod to that type of stuff when they're getting into, you know, he's got his character sheet from mi6 and he's he's reading yeah. all that okay so you're gonna be it's like stephanie broadchest or yeah. something like that <laughs> and vespa's like no no i am not like you've got to be having a kind of joke but just that whole the basically the kind of like the the train scene really it, 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 you're suddenly like wow i'm taking notice of this now because it's like it's not just because you've had the nod previously already in the film where he's manipulated the the owner of the Aston Martin is it Demetrius? Is that his name? The guy's name? Ooh. It is something beginning with D. He's so he's he's basically manipulated his wife in the old Bond fashion, in the sleazy way. He's gotten his leg over with her because he wants to get something from that. 
Yeah, know, but did you notice he doesn't pump, pump pump her for information? I think was M's <laughs> line in one of the old uh, <laughs> was that Goldeneye? I think <laughs> it, 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 was it was it Goldeneye? And it was is it was that Zenya on a top? Zenya on a top. <laughs> Come on, you know, like. It's only when you say it out loud that you're like, the fucking hell. So this is what I mean. So like you're saying, like, you know, to to anybody watching this that that is thinking, like, really, was this that progressive? It seems really cliched that she's like, a herb girl power sort of thing. It's like, no, it's not. It like, it was dismantling decades of this type of stuff, right? And it was done so well to see suddenly James Bond this suave kind of know-it-all character suddenly be put in his place by a woman you know like it was and it was it was it was it was just the way it landed was it was great i was watching it back this time and i think it got me even more this time because i don't know maybe because i'm not watching it as a young man suddenly being like oh When's when's the bit when he's gonna like you know shagger or something <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. like yeah, you know that has been the format that's yeah. been the format for the longest time and I do like it, I do think it's important to get this point across is that I I when I was watching it back I had this weird kind of like I'm I'm so glad you said that it it, it you were like yeah that this is a, a good representation of how we're kind of like moving the franchise forward because I was like oh god I hope people don't now watch this and go oh for god's sake how how rubbish that they didn't make her have x y z whatever would be needed in order to be for uh, Vesperlin's character in 2023 to be considered a far more three-dimensional character and given a lot more um of a of a backstory in order to kind of um i guess satisfy a modern audience because actually this was a great example of daniel craig's bond being brought into a new era you know yeah. this was a big step forward it was and yes we need to keep making more steps forward and and, and things need to be more modernized all the time but this was a huge gear change you know, this was a big gear change, and this was progress, and it was a, it was a good interaction. I actually felt it was really well played as well. The kind of back and forth, they're really sort of like going at each other, but they were going at each other as equals, which I thought was was, was brilliant. The, the thing I loved about like with their relationship as well, though, is it set up, it set up the rest of the Craig era. It set mm. up the rest of the franchise in terms of, you know, it. it, it <sighs> Bond letting his guard down, Bond falling in love. Like he says to Vesper, you know, she's like, you're not going to let me in, are you? And he's like, I am, but this is whatever there is left of me. You know, he he barely doesn't even feel human anymore. As, as she nails him with on the train, mm. you're a disaffected young man that the British intelligence service has managed to get their hands on. You're exactly what they want because you can go out and do their killing for them. It's 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 that, and I think that as well. I think that's that's an important element to all of this. Not just Bond as a character, Bond and everything that he represents. I think it's the first Bond film that's probably been openly scathing of the British establishment as well, yeah. and the way in which they operate around the world. Because, like you said, like like we were talking about at the start, it used to be kind of like it was it was lionized, right? James Bond on foreign soil, killing all these soldiers and then flying off with a Union Jack parachute, you know? But again, <laughs> they make it very clear in this one when he has when he has gone and fought in that embassy, 
there's the newspaper headlines all over. British intelligence agent kills people at embassy. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. it, it, they, they're, they're showing you that the world has changed and this story is not going to be the same as that. But I think, yeah, like I say, outside of those kind of like the, the thematic dismantling of James Bond, just on a, on a character basis, the way in which Vesper gets under his skin and the way in which he loses himself to her, like it's, it's the fact that she is ultimately like the the woman has always been kind of James Bond's kind of the thing he does best. He's the master manipulator. He's the master kind of cad, the bounder. But in this, it's showing you straight away, she got under his skin and it allowed him to be vulnerable. It allowed him to be an actual human being, a, a, a character that had feelings that wasn't just this killing machine, you know, but with her kind of double crossing of him, if you like, and the fact that he was blind to it, the fact he he's he's always the guy that knows everything, he's always the smartest guy in the room, but the fact he didn't see it suddenly made him question himself yeah. and set the Bond franchise, the Craig franchise, on this trajectory of James Bond being this kind of weary, broken man as opposed to this god, you know, that he was previously. And it made it made for a much richer and realistic experience overall yeah it was i i think that was one of the big things that you could take away from the daniel craig era was that it felt you felt the punches you know there's Mm. a there is a a scene at the beginning where he's doing parkour essentially he's like running along all these bits and chasing this guy called um malaka is the character's name but it was actually a guy called sebastian Fokan. i don't know if you know i don't know if you're kind of familiar with his backstory but um he was actually a a a free runner and he's the most popular free runner that there's ever been he's kind of like the founding father of parkour Um, and he created a documentary i think he helped produce and and starred in a documentary called jump britain um which was if you haven't seen it in the 90s this thing or the late 90s early noughties parkour kind of exploded and became this huge thing and he was the guy that people traveled around all over the world to to try and get the information from he was like the 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 gospel basically of of parkour um and in that opening exchange you see him kind of elegantly flying around all these things and and jumping from cranes to buildings it's amazing yeah and you see bond like smashing into stuff and sort of like (laughs) heavily landing on these big kind of waste disposal units that that kind of his is like on the floor kind of crushed and broken and kind of like staggering away from it and you're like when he breaks through the plasterboard it's like it's so hilarious it's so well done yeah and you're and you're sort of like oh wow this guy could actually be fallible for the first time ever yeah you know you usually you see the, the only time you've ever seen i think james bond look like he's in pain is when Roger Moore punches Jaws in the mouth and then like <laughs> comes away shaking his hand because Jaws has got metal teeth and it's done tongue in cheek. You know, he's, James Bond as a character is pretty much bulletproof. But in this, you kind of see him as, as, as both gritty, but also fallible and also ultimately human. You know, he's a, he, he's mm. just a, he, he's just a man sort of thing. Um, and, and to come back to the, to the Vesper point that you made. Now, this is really interesting because it's only when I watched it this time around that I really thought about this. In terms of the double crossing, did you 
do you think that she actually Vespa was into Bond or she was just literally using him in the way that Bond so many times has used so many women over the course of the films see this is where Charlotte and I differed or did you have a did you did you have a a, a big one well it's just so I think from her perspective it was that Vespa did have a type of love for Bond that it was complicated that she had obviously gone out with the intention of just manipulating him but had started to fall for him whereas I think my take on it is that no she didn't she did what she did to help her actual love and I know she took off the necklace and such but maybe that's because I don't know because Bond started to figure out what it was or maybe he was digging into it or something but I still feel that a lot of her feelings like her her suicide basically at the end of it was born from a kind of sense of guilt because she'd seen that she'd managed to actually win over this infamously you know cold man everybody knows one of the other the other mathis says to him you know oh she melted your frozen heart or something so it's obviously known what type of character he is and the fact that he was so vulnerable and so in love with her I think as because I don't think she was a bad person. I think she was doing what she did to to save her her husband or fiance, what, what whatever it was. Um, that maybe there was just there was more a conflicted feeling of guilt there from from what she'd done as opposed to actually really being properly in love with Bond. But I I don't know. I, I that's just my feeling on it. But I don't strongly stand by that. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I, for me, I thought that she she literally just manipulated the whole situation. I thought that some of her dialogue was deliberately quite forced to him. Mm. When she sort of said, like, she said something along the lines of like, you're the best man I've ever met. And if all that was left of you was your smile and your little finger, then that, and I was like, God, this is a bit, I, I, I sort of, was, when I was watching it back, because I didn't remember that line standing out to me. I was like, that's a bit much, isn't it? And then it sort of like, then I was like, Oh yeah, she in a minute she's about to completely betray him and and then kind of like sack him off. But then the fact that she then killed herself sort of said to me that she was like that was always gonna be the she was always aware that she was gonna be the one who died. I think Em even says it like she knew she was gonna die, but she spared your life. So she she wasn't completely beyond redemption, but to me, I, the way that I watched it was that this was, this was a complete... She had got one over on Bond. Like, she, he was just a sort of pawn in her own kind of game that she was playing because we see ultimately that Mr. White, the character at the end, who is acting on behalf of Spectre, that there is much bigger stuff at play here. And like you said, mm. this is kind of launching the... The, the the Craig era of Bond and the storyline that we're about to go on over the course of the next few films. But she was ultimately a vehicle to bring that storyline in, but, ult- but also she was using Bond as a vehicle for her own narrative. And it was quite nice that you get to see that. I sort of was, I was thinking when I was watching the film, I was like, I wonder how much of the film, because the film, like, it's called Casino Royale, and obviously the big poker scenes are kind of a big stage setup. And you sort of think, I wonder how much of the film is that? Actually, they leave half an hour of the film. It's like 35 minutes of the film is just dedicated to 
Vesper kind of finalizing that that third act and and because it's so important though right massive like you say it sets it all up massive and I I I think on on this like it it sounds you know we're talking about the train scene being kind of on the nose and a lot of these nods to it on the nose and I think I I really do think that maybe you know I don't think it hurts so much right I think it, it 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 doesn't hurt in a in a franchise like the Bond franchise to say this is how things are now and even if things do feel on the... I mean, you've got to remember as well, it's, it's the early noughties, right? So things were not... You only have to look at kind of the sort of messaging that Lads Mags and Heat Magazine and stuff was spewing out to young Jeez, people. That's such you know, a good point. We, we grew up during this era when celebrities were told they were too fat, that everybody should be size zero, that people would have their acne circled. You know, look, here's some Hollyoaks actress. Go it was probably days. like... A tw- you know, a twenty-one-year-old in a in a massively popular magazine, out, being like, makeup there you are. free, yeah. no bra, you <laughs> yeah, know, all yeah, that yeah, type yeah. of stuff, and it would be lads mags that would be telling you like, how to pull girls, how to use the game theory, how to do this, how to do that, and when you think about like the most sort of I guess classically toxic for better for want of a better word in that sense, franchise in Bond is suddenly taking the opportunity to be like, no this is how things should be and this is how it's going to be. And that's why I think something like Casino Royale is so good. And I think Daniel Craig was such a good choice for it because he does seem to be a guy that really has a conscience over this type of stuff. You can see the sort of the movies he's done since, the way in which he speaks in interviews and such. And I know he's quite disenfranchised with the Bond experience overall, but that feels like it's more a kind of hustle with studios and most actors get that way most people get you get a football manager who's been at a club for a long time and they just get sick of it i think that just happens to people but i think he was a good thing for the bomb franchise and one bit i wanted to sort of touch on really i guess to sort of before we move this section forwards is it there's there's the infamous chair scene the infamous (laughs) chair scene when james bond is stripped down naked le chiffre is is there with his mace or flail, whatever it is, and he's literally beating James Bond in the bollocks. Like, and it's the most... To this day, I cannot watch that scene without wincing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. You know, even when he just gives it the little tap at the start and you, you and the way Craig reacts, you're like, because know, you know how much that would hurt. Yeah, you and know? Also, it, the way he does the... Ooh, yeah. It's, like the, it's such a good representation of it exactly how that feels when you've been accidentally just just anybody just with testicles will attest to it yeah, it's, yeah it's, exactly it's 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 the worst feeling but i think you know really in this like i say things are on the nose but it's it's james bond's masculinity being beaten before your very eyes yeah the final nail in the coffin of that scene is the bond villain is killed by somebody else James Bond, after just having his masculinity smashed on screen, is also not the guy to kill the Bond villain at yeah. the end of the movie. It's it's some it's a, an agent from Spectre, right? That just comes in, shoots the Chiffre, and that's it. James Bond is whisked off, out of shot. He didn't save the day. <laughs> he's 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 whisked off and goes off to to live this happy life with Vesper. And then gets that turned on its head as well. It, it just that to me really cemented what they were what they were doing with this is that this is not going to be more of the same. This is going to be different, and 
it almost now, like I say, watching Casino Royale back after having seen the entirety of the Craig franchise, I'm suddenly like, this all makes so much sense. They really have, they've almost telegraphed what is going to happen in the final sort of entry into the, into the Craig era that it shouldn't be a massive surprise what does happen. Yeah. But I mean, he doesn't, he, he doesn't, ultimately Bond doesn't kind of like win the day in this one. No. You know, he essentially loses, you know, he's, he's won this poker game, but been played by someone else. And actually what he's, M says the trail's gone cold, just give it up sort of thing. And he obviously doesn't give it up because Vesper has sort of forwarded him this message or, or sent this message to him timed so that he'll, so that he'll have a thread to chase in the next films. But at mm. the end of the film, like he, he's, he's lost, he's lost what 15 million or 10 million pounds worth of the, the treasury's money. And he's, he has funded terrorism. So he he has completely ballsed it up sort of thing and he's been conned. Um, but as you say, it kind of has, has left us the trail of breadcrumbs that we're now like, okay, right, I'm in. You know, and I think that's what Barbara Broccoli had done so well in terms of choosing to move away from Piers Brosnan meant that you could reinvest in, in Bond. Because I think if Piers Brosnan had done this film and there was originally chat that he might, you wouldn't have been able to go like, oh, it's in. He's brought him up to speed, you know. You, he's, he's Bond is finally playing catch up because people would always look at the Pierce Brosnan films and go, well, hang on, five minutes ago you had a, a, a CGI invisible car that he had, you know. How can mm. he now be sat there having like these really brutal fight scenes? So I actually think that that decision was was really quite pertinent and it was a really important thing to do to make sure that by the time that we get to the end and by the time you see the chief sort of killed off by i think it's mr white isn't it yeah is it actually uh, mr white that does it I wasn't yeah sure. i think yeah. so yeah so uh, it, because you then see that play out you're then into this kind of like oh okay i'm going on a new i'm going on a new path here and this is going to be something that's played out over the course of a few films as opposed to let's tie it neatly off with a bow at the end. Let's get out of these wet clothes. Yeah, it's yeah, sort of it, it yeah. kind of it, it has a Hang on. it has a nice kind of opening to the next arc, which you're open to as well. You know, because one of the big things, another big thing that always happens in the Bond films, James Bond will return or 007 will return, but you don't think like, oh, okay, and we'll start again, beginning, middle, and end. It's kind of like, well, he has to return because there's, a, there's something still to go here. Mm. Did you um? Did you find it interesting how Le Chiffre was on screen? Because one of the things that... I'd almost forgotten the scene in his hotel room in the middle of the poker game when he gets beaten up by the, you know, mm -hmm. where is my money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I thought that was really important. But seeing a vulnerability to a Bond villain as well, I thought was... It was, you know, it felt like it was dismantling even more of, like, the, the Bond archetypes there. But I wasn't... I couldn't really nail why they were doing that and why the Bond villain felt so. Maybe it's for a sense of you know realism to it or something like that. Or like you say, the fact that Le Chiffre was part of a much bigger thing. The thing for me, I, what I took from that was this whole thing of everyone's got a boss, you know? Yeah, everyone, interesting. No one interesting. is, no one's above, like as you go through the layers of the films, the next sort of four films, 
everyone is answerable to someone. You know, even mm. Bond is answerable to M, but M's answerable to someone as well. And it's kind of like this, what it does is it means that you don't get into this, you get into this space where at any point, the, the the trails yeah literally that line the trail's gone cold well it, it hasn't because life goes on and life continues to move and i think that's w- what they do really well in these films with the exception probably of quantum of solace which which i actually thought was 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 not great but it it continues to move the storyline along and you feel like you're on a moving vehicle in 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 the bomb films and it's not just the, the kind of classic thing of like well, where do we find him now? Oh, look, he's on, I don't know, what's the kind of like opening sequel, The Spy Who Loved Me, we, he's on a ski slope somewhere, you know? Mm. Where do we pick up Bond now? This actually created a, a, a timeline, you know, that you could you could follow through, which I, I really, really liked. And I, I thought Le Chief actually as a, as a villain was very good because he was so different, mm. because it was like, this wasn't just some thug, you know, it wasn't just some bloke who was Bond was ultimately going to have to kill. This was a guy who was like, he had a purpose, you know, he needed to get his money back. And he was ready to, he was ready to give up all of his own kind of world just to have safety from the British government. You know, that mm. was kind of like his art, which was really cool. I really liked it. It was a really, and, and Mads Mikkelsen as well, just great performance. Just, he was quite sinister and horrible, you know. I, I, I love him. Yeah, really good, no? I uh, I told you I had some fiery hot takes. Give about it to this me. Film. I want all um, of it. It's the best bomb film ever for me. <gasps> oh, Cena Rylad's the best bomb film ever, and Ooh. I uh, I think one of the things that makes it the best bomb film ever is that <laughs> it's scorching. It's it's a great film. As well, I think somebody could say, oh, I don't like James Bond films. And I could say, go and watch Casino Royale. It's a great movie. Like, it's a really, really good movie. Oh, God, you challenged me there. <laughs> oh, it was not... Genuinely, I was not expecting that. I was not... That is... Okay, so let's break it down. What, so it's it's because it stands alone as a film as well as a Bond film. Yeah, I think so. And I just think, honestly, I just think, look, this movie's, what, almost 20 years old now. I think it's, well, we're going to get onto it. I won't, I, won't, I won't jump ahead too far in the, in the running order, but it's still really enjoyable. I didn't watch this thinking like, oh, I can, what I'll do is I'll extend that courtesy that I do to older films of like, this is good, but looks a little bit naff in this sense. I think it's paced spectacularly. I think the, the cinema for cinema for photographer the cinematography is on point throughout i think the dialogue is great i think the action is really really well you know that parkour scene we're talking about like just as a piece of cinema to sit back and watch that is fantastic it's exciting it's aged like in that sense it's aged brilliantly it doesn't look naff it doesn't look twee I used to, I mean, I absolutely loved kind of when I was growing up, like I loved Roger Moore as James Bond. I loved the kind of the the silliness to it. I know it's been such a kind of divisive one, but I loved Moonraker. I loved how kind of ridiculous it was and all that type of stuff. 
but having like revisited a few of those films, I, I watched what did I watch? I watched Goldfinger not too long ago. I watched Moonraker again not too long ago, and that one, the the one in the snow that you were talking about, Spy Who Loved Me. Is that yeah? It might be Spy Who Loved Me. Spy with Who Loved young... Me is the one that starts with him on the on the slopes, and he then flies off the cliff and lets off the Great Britain parachute. No, it's the other the one that you're talking about with the the young yeah, you know, like the teenage ballerina girl who's like, oh James, oh, well, that, please. That's for your eyes only. Yeah, and I mean, for your that eyes. That is messy. I mean, that is that's, yeah. That's that. Yeah. But and I that... mean, like for example, even Goldfinger. I remember thinking it was great when I was younger. I found it. I found it quite hard to watch, though, mate. I found it like really not that fun, you know. Right. Like, okay. Like the whole like the the last sort of section of the film when he's just trapped in his in his kind of with the place. laser going at his giblets. Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, I don't know. <laughs> I just I think Casino Royale is just. I just think it's a great movie, and I think like we're saying, it keeps enough of the campiness of Bond. It keeps enough of the the tropes and the archetypes, but actually doesn't completely bow down to those. It doesn't completely. It's not completely hamstrung by this idea of what it should be, but could still I, retains a lot of that. Could I ask a question then? Do you think it's Go possible on. to say that something that one of these films is the best movie without it being the best Bond movie? I guess I'm saying it's the best Bond movie by by definition. By definition. The fact it's a Bond, but I know what you mean in terms of if it follows all the Bond tropes, then probably not in that sense. But I think it's I I do think it's the best movie out of out of all of them, especially every every single one that followed it. I don't think Skyfall came close. Well, I, I really liked say... Skyfall. I really liked Skyfall. But I don't think any of them came that close to Casino Royale. Yeah, because I was going to say Skyfall. Skyfall definitely did something very different in that it went full kind of origin story. Um, and oh, we we got to talk about that as well. Yeah, I mean that that and I mean that that. That thing, what she says a lot. Um, um, Judy Dench says a line to him, like "Where are you taking us?" or something like that. When he's in the DB five, and it's like he it, it says that like, we're, we're going to the past or we're going home or something like that. And you kind of have this very, very kind of like I don't know. It's it, it it's very old school. Like it goes very, very old school with it, and and it kind of the idea of him using these these nuts and bolts tools to kind of get him through an attack from an assassin and a, and a group of. I mean, look, Skyfall, I could do all day on because I think Skyfall is is just a wonderful, wonderful film, and I think mm. it's so well made, and I think it again. Was it, it goes, Sam Mendes? Directed yeah, and Skyfall. it goes even grittier, you know, and Javier Bardem yeah. and. Um, and and the, the the death scene of of Judy Dench as well. Suddenly, it is doing these things with a with a Bond film, because so I huh? Emma's yeah. dead. What? Yeah, you, know? you killed Mum. She's Mum. Yeah, you know, it's literally like he, he, it, it it for Bond, who's an orphan, to have this strong female figure in his life who basically is carrying him through the films and obviously cares about him an enormous amount, but doesn't want to admit and doesn't want to show it and. Casino Royale does this brilliant job of displaying that, right? You know, where is he now? You know, like what's he doing now? You know, you can just mm. it's the sort of thing your mum would say about you when you'd gone on a night out and not come home. <laughs> it's, it, like it, it, yeah, it, the the arc for me 
up until Skyfall, I feel like he's in a brilliant place. Can I give you my smoking hot take now? Come. I despised No Time to Die. Despised oh, okay. it. Yeah, yeah. Despite like for me, I felt like I came out of the cinema. I've never come out of a cinema like that. I was enraged. I had to go for Apoplectic. a walk. I had to go for a walk. I, like, really? and, 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 and the missus was with me at the time. She was like, I really liked it. What did you think? I was like, we're not talking for a bit. <laughs> she, she's like, oh, it's so interesting the way that I was like, no, no, absolutely not. And, and, and I think this is one of the things that I want to kind of get onto. I was completely not ready for you to say that this is your your the, the best one because I don't think I've given enough thought this week to what is my favourite Bond film. But what this Bond film represented to me was, as you say, the franchise moving forward, like things kind of coming up to speed. Mm-hmm. And I felt like at Skyfall, it was like, wow, we're really we're really getting somewhere with this now. And then I felt with No Time to Die that actually it kind of lost its way of what what we were trying to do here with James Bond and what where, where this kind of where this is going and I get that Daniel Craig wanted to kind of wrap things up and be like well I can't be Bond again no one can call me out and tell me to do it again because I've very much kind of like put a straight line through this and this is ticked off but I was interested to know where you think that bond as a kind of institution, as a franchise, as a series, kind of like where it is now off the back of Daniel Craig? Well, I think it's a clear line in the sand. They're showing you that it's bond is going to exist in isolation in these little silos. And what I feel is that that is going to ultimately give the studio greater freedom to take Bond in different directions and be less hamstrung by a lot of these old archetypes, a lot of these old kind of... Because I, I just think they don't want to keep peddling the same story yeah. over and over and over and over again. So the idea now that James Bond can die, it is, it's the ultimate dismantling of the archetype, of what it is. The, yeah. Like we say, that yeah. God-like invincibility to him i think it affords him a lot more freedom when i think the fact that cinema has moved to this idea this sense of multiverses and stuff i'm not for a second suggesting of i wouldn't put it past a particularly ambitious <laughs> script writer every now and again or somebody trying to do something different but i'm not suggesting we're going to have an instance where you're going to have various different bonds or converging through some space-time continuum type thing but again like i say there was moonraker so you know who knows what where this franchise can go but what i do think it means is that there's less pressure now and i think the whole thing ultimately and hopefully will become less toxic um, if there are decisions made that people will say, that's not Bond, this isn't Bond, because they're saying, no, Bond is different now. Bond is what we are making. Yeah, we've destroyed that old, we've literally, in front of yeah. you, destroyed yeah. Blew it the up. idea. Exactly. <laughs> Over the course of these five films, with that ending, we've we've destroyed it. And if that, you know, if that does something, like pave the way for there to be a black James Bond, great. Do you know what I mean? Because I think this this question, the way this is like lingered over it for so long. Well, James James Bond, you know, he's a white guy with like you know this and that. It's like, well, Daniel Craig wasn't 
the archetypal Bond move, like Bond. Yeah, they called him James Blonde at the beginning. Yeah, you, you know, so it's. I think the fact that we can move forward into this kind of, into this kind of place, I think is good. But you know, I think it for for diehard fans of Bond, they're probably not going to be as satisfied by that. But I, I think still, I think across this, like we say, this Craig era, I think the filmmakers have done more than enough to still you know for fan servicing yeah, but i just think it, it's now like we say i think this is i think this is going to be a new line in the sand this is from this point on it is going to be bond will probably become more of a jason bourne type mission impossible or whatever type Possibly, story yeah. where it's it's going to always have it's like british heart it's always going to have an aston martin or two in there there's going to be do you know what i mean there's going to be q branch probably but I think it it will move away from all of that stuff now. And it was almost like, because if you look at No Time to Die as a film, they were saying goodbye to a lot of, a lot of Bond, you know? Yeah. They they brought in the kind of, you know, the Aston with the, the guns and the headlights. They had, you know, we have all the time in the world weaved in masterfully by Hans Zimmer into the score. You know, there were so many nods to Bond and it being the end of something. And like I say, it, it, they telegraph it from Casino Royale. It's the beginning of the end. They're yeah. showing you throughout all of those movies what it is. But I am conscious of the fact that we've been we've been talking for a while on this, mate, but there's one burning, burning issue that I want to ask you Go about on, because there's a lot of inconsistencies for me on this. Is James Bond James Bond... Or is it a code name? I am torn. Like I'm really torn. I do you think that's purposeful? Do you think that's purposeful by the filmmakers to to create this type of discussion? Yeah, I do. I don't what do you think? I honestly don't know. I honestly because Skyfall should have put pay to it his name is James Bond. Right, yeah. you see his parents' graves. You see the the old housekeeper that calls him by the name James Bond. But I was thinking when I was watching this movie, I was like, okay, so you're you're an is it MI five or MI six? MI six. I have to admit it. MI six. Yeah. You're you're an international MI six spy. Are you going to check into a hotel using the name James Bond if that's your name? You no, know, and that's... and, and well, you're not going to keep bloody telling everyone. <laughs> Right? Telling everyone what your name is, you know, and, and, and uh, it, it, that makes total sense when you think about it from that point of view. There's another bit as well that that didn't make sense to me when he when he first meets the shift and and the shift gives him that little thing. He shakes hand. He says, "Hello there, Mister Beach," and then whispers to him, "Or should I say, <laughs> Mister Bond?" And you're like, "Fuck!" He knows who he is. Ah, that sets it up. That's yeah. really good. But then minutes later, the, the, the croupier says, Mr. Bond, could you come to the table, please? Because we're seeing... Every- so I was like, was that a script fuck up or something? If he's yeah, going to this yeah, thing yeah. as Mr. Beach? Or, and they're calling him Mr. Bond. Because you've just ruined the big reveal that the shifter knows who he is. And then you've just announced yeah. to the room, Mr. Bond, can you come and take a seat? So oh, there's by a the lot- way, they said my six spies here. <laughs> right? You know, and it's just so... I think there's a lot throughout this because... It does make sense because the whole James Bond is a code name makes sense in the respect that 
he's been played and he looks different in all these different movies and he's it's conceivable that he's died off screen you know that sean connery died off screen roger moore lazenby dalton they all died off screen yeah and they've been replaced each time so i guess where this is challenging for me and why i struggle with no time to die so much is because there are some things that for me in this kind of sequence of events that I've just gone that's what it is for me that that is it. for me James Bond from Doctor No right the way through up until no time to die. actually I mean to, to some extent with Casino Royale because you have that sequence at the beginning of Casino Royale in black and white where you're like oh I kind of we're kind of starting again here to me James Bond was just chronological like mission after mission after mission Mm. and I knew that that was flawed like it's ridiculous and it doesn't work but because I it was so ingrained in the kind of fabric of sort of like what I loved about it uh, this is so this is such a ridiculous thing to say but I'm like I, I wasn't willing to let that go mm. like I wasn't willing to let that change because ultimately what this is doing to me is forcing me to recognize that at some point in life, as with everything, you'll have to end a chapter. You'll have to yep. close the book on, close the, 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 the book and say, well, that thing is now over. And I really, really struggled with that because James Bond has provided, like so many other things in our lives, it's provided the backdrop to mm. so much of kind of, as a series it's been there the entire time that i've been been alive and so i took it so deeply personally the idea of someone being able to kill this character off because i was like this is just no he's he is just invincible like this will go on forever and and, and i recognize that so much of bond is problematic like so much of james bond as a character misogyny there's there's elements of racism there is like clearly some very xenophobic stuff going mm. on throughout the films. Um, there's like massive issues of kind of like imperialism and, and people sort yeah. of talking about the British Empire and that's like God, that that's all that's all such a massive problem. But I share with you like quite. A, you have to forgive me here, but I'll go quite a sort of personal story that I that is is. I think kind of explains this really well. So m my dad was quite unwell a couple of years ago. And he'd got to a point where he was in intensive care and like, it was a bit touch and go. And our entire family kind of was sort of in taking it in shifts to go and yeah. to go and sit with him when when he was really ill. And so it came around to my night where I was going to go and sit with him and kind of like just spend the night in the hospitals keeping company. And he wasn't really he didn't have much energy. And he didn't really kind of like, he wasn't really able to chat or really able to talk, but he couldn't go to sleep either because of all the drugs that he was having. So I was like, well, what should we do? And I was like, I'll put on a Bond film. You know, I had my laptop yeah. on the desk in front of him. We put on, we watched Man with the Golden Gun and we watched The Spy Who Loved Me. And like, we didn't say anything, but we sat in total silence and just enjoyed watching two James Bond films. And as a result, for me, it kind of just reminded me that that sort of stuff, like to me, that they're almost sacred because of yeah. that. 
And so I can on one hand recognize that it's totally outdated and ridiculous, whilst also at the same time kind of pining for that simplicity and pining for that idea that kind of like, even though they're so flawed in so many ways, they still occupy a very, very special place for me, if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. So I guess that begs the question, mate. You say you hated No Time to Die for that personal reason. But do you think it was necessary if you if you separate that as as M would say to you, separate your <laughs> ego, ego aside, yeah, ego aside, was it a bad decision from a filmmaking perspective to kill James Bond? Oh. Yeah, it's a horrible question. Oh. Well, that, after and, and, after such a touching anecdote as well, well mate, no, I should but, say that. Thank you for sharing that. No, no, no. You're so spot on. Like it's. The reason why I was annoyed coming out of the cinema is because I recognise that it was the right thing. Like, mm. I recognise that it needed to change. But as a 30-something-year-old bloke... Change I, is scary, I right? don't like change. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't... One, yeah. so much changes around us all the time and things mm. move faster than ever. But with james bond you had something there that for the entirety of my life was a consistent thing and i was angry and annoyed and upset that this thing that i sort of held so dear has now finally accepted that like everything else it has to change you know and really if i'm really honest with myself that's what i'm annoyed that's what i was annoyed about they killed the thing that to me was like well, you can't kill james bond yeah, like, yeah, bloody can, mate, and we have, you know, and it's like, oh shit, you know, and another thing, life goes on as it must, and and kind of you you do just go okay, well like that, I've, and James Bond as a character was hugely problematic, so it did need to kind of be dragged into twenty twenty three, you know. What about you? What did you think? Were you? How do you kind of feel about it? Or the end of No Time to Die. Well, yeah, and I guess just that arc in general of, of Daniel Craig's Bond. I thought I thought when I first watched it, I, I don't think I had as like strong a reaction as you, but I, I still thought it was silly. I thought, oh, you're just trying to make a point here. This is, you know, you're, you're trying to sort of shake it up. I don't really see the need to do this. But like I say, now I've actually watched Casino Royale again after having seen that and when I consider it in in more of a, I guess, an analytical sense for us to do this podcast, it makes total sense to me. And mm. I think it will, I think it does free up the franchise to go in some new and exciting ways. As long as they retain some of the character of Bond, some of the kind of tropes that have made it uniquely a Bond experience, that they don't forget that entirely, right? Because we, we can watch jason bourne movies or we could those are finished now but we can watch the mission impossible movies they're all great they're brilliant they're brilliant examples of great action movies but sometimes if you want to watch a bond film you know what you want to watch it's there is and i think that with casino royale like we say even though the whole film was built around dismantling the bond archetype it's still kept enough of it in there as the whole craig era did so you know i think as long as they as long as they don't lose and completely lose sight of what the bond sort of movies are but have now afforded themselves that freedom because how do we know you know if it's if if the next bond is you know whoever 
maybe in this one Bond doesn't die maybe for once in this iteration of the multiverse Bond can disappear into the sunset and actually have a happy life you know yeah, like yeah. they did that with Batman they did that yeah. with Christopher Nolan's Batman it's 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 something that can happen and I think it's it's interesting because you can see these franchises are going more in that way. You saw, like I say, That's Nolan's so Batman was a self-contained Christian Bale as Batman, beginning, middle, end. Yeah, you know? and that that's what they did. And so I think it's just it's it's modernizing the whole franchise in more ways than just in a societal messaging sense as well. Yeah, I think it, it totally. gives them more freedom to do TV series. What's what's the betting? Remember from No Time to Die. What's the betting that we don't have? Bond's daughter having her own TV series, you know. Yeah, and I mean that 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 kind of, I think that was one of the things that I sort of picked up, and I was like, oh my god, the door has now opened for, yeah, this to, this to become Star Wars, you know. Precisely, and I think I think MGM has said they're going to do a Bond TV series somehow. There's going to be an adaptation, whether that'll be Money yeah. Penny's own series or something. Who knows, you know? Yeah. But I don't I don't think that that hurts, um, mate. Let's have a quick one on the standout performers, the MVPs of of the film, because there's there's a lot to choose from here, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for me, Mads Mikkelsen, absolutely outstanding. He's performance. unbelievable. Well, unbelievable. So good. Who is it for you? It's it's well, it's between him, Dench, and Craig. Like yeah. they're all just so brilliant. I mean, I think. Dench in the Krager is really coming into her own as yeah, well as um, she's so good. She's so good in it. She gets um, more depth as well. She gets a more opportunity, doesn't she, to kind of yeah. give you that. And like you say, that kind of her conflicted of trying to be the boss but also actually caring about him, you know, yeah. it, it's it's so well done. Um I think Daniel Craig is great. I do think he's great, but I think if I if I had if were I forced to choose I would probably go Mads as well because yeah. I just I really like him and I think he's I think he's such a brilliant Bond villain as well. So good. Yeah, there is, and there's some great supporting roles as well. There's some really good supporting stuff. It is it's kind of like watching a a really really well orchestrated football team. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You sort of pick yeah, up, yeah. oh, didn't, and he played well, and she played well, and she played well, and he was. Like, do you know? It's, I think that's why it's such a good film because you do look around. There's very few people that you think, well, that wasn't very believable. Eva Green as well is great in my Phenomenal. opinion. Like, she's she's so brilliant. Good. Yeah, so so good. So good. Um, oh, and the the ultimate question, mate. Here we go. Fine wine or war crime? I think right now. For, just for me personally, I think this is aging like a fine wine, and I think I Big think time. we're seeing this. I think with the as I was saying, kind of the, the way cinema's moving and the way that life is moving, this is doing a really good job of holding up. Whilst there are so many other things that were made in that era that don't. Yeah, 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 a hundred percent. You know, and, and like, like we said, just to reiterate the point that th- this did come out in an era of lads mags of rampant body shaming of homophobia yeah yeah a real real i think toxic i think the noughties the early noughties were a real real disgustingly toxic era in our culture in our society horrible really nasty mean-spirited era i i didn't have a lot of fun growing up in, in in that era at all I thought it was horrible. I thought the whole world was geared towards 
tearing strips out of people. So when people now talk about kind of, well, snowflakes and people being worked, I'm kind of like, I don't think it hurts that people actually sort of give a shit about other people's feelings yeah. a bit now, you know? Like, actually it's... just a bit of thought behind, maybe I shouldn't do this thing, or maybe I should... Like, I mean, you look, as you say, like nuts, zoo, that era of, 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 of kind of the attitudes that were displayed in that. You sort of look at it now and think, my God, those 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 kind of publications, magazines, things like that, they were making so much money that they got to define the culture to some extent, which was actually really... So to, for a film to come in and be like, yeah, I might stick two fingers up at some of that. Especially the ultimate man's man film, you know? Yeah. The, 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 the turbo shagger spy, you know? Yeah, and do you remember the Sun was still doing the shagger of the year award? You know, rear of the year and all that stuff. Yeah, rear of the year and page three. Gail and... Porter being projected naked onto the House of Parliament. I don't think she'd given her permission for that or anything. You know, it's yeah, and that really tells you where we were right then. So I think that look, I'm not using that as an, an excuse for some of the film's flaws because I'm sure lots of young people, if they watch Casino Royale, would be like, "This is not progressive at all." Like, what are you talking about? But it for what it was at that time in terms of dragging something that was very outdated forward i do think i I think it is aged well are you sort of same boat oh 100 100 percent. i i think it's i think it's actually aged even better than i I remember watching it back on this and it doesn't look it doesn't look dated in terms of the cinematography as you said as well like that's another thing that's quite nice is it doesn't you don't look at it and go oh god this is like the effects the action all of it i think it's it's aged brilliantly i think i think it's a brilliantly well-made film and it's yeah, it saved. I think it saved the Bond franchise. Yeah, I think okay. it did. New lease of life. So, um, yeah. mate, tell me what are the what are the ratings on this one? Because the ratings. Let's have a look. So, Rotten Tomatoes. Go on, mate. What were you going to say? Well, I, just because I'm very aware that one of us has to play bad cop and one of us has to play good cop with our ratings. Otherwise, we're just going to give five popcorns every single week <laughs> to every single film. And I also gave Pulp Fiction 4.5 because of some of the mm. problematic stuff. So I can't go five on this, even though I think it's a five. So no, maybe. You can go five. You can go, mate, you're allowed to go five. Five you know? popcorns like, for me, Clive. Five, po- five popcorns here. <laughs> All right, okay. There we go. Five popcorns. I will. Uh... I'll give it. I'll give it four, so we can meet in the middle if you want. Should we try? Should we try our that we were gonna suggest, like instead of us doing a kind of standard one, two, three, four, five, we were gonna have where to watch for this phone, tablet, TV, cinema, IMAX. Mm. Do, do you want to try that on this one? Because this for me is now the perfect film to watch on a fat screen at home. On a kind of like you said, on a, on a Sunday afternoon, but equally, I would shade into cinema as well. Great to watch well, at the yeah, cinema. Great to watch on at home on TV. Exactly that because I I watched it in the cinema originally, then probably watched it at home, and then I actually went to and it was through uh, one of my old jobs. Our Christmas or summer party was to go to the Casino Royale secret cinema screening. Oh, oh and I was, that is so good. Is it decent? Yeah, I was kind of indifferent about the idea of that. I was like, okay, well, I've seen this movie a couple of times and whatever. It was it was spectacular. Oh. It was so good. 
It was so good. Can we do a thing one time talking about Secret Cinema? Because I've had a very different sure experience there, but I would love to get into that. Yeah, well, I did the Stranger Things one, and that was not good. But the uh, Casino Royale was great. It was amazing. Um, and so I would, yeah, I would, these type of movies, big action, I would still really always want to go cinema. Um, so what was it on the, what were the scores on the doors? The Tomatometer. Tomatometer? Yeah, there you go. Tomatometer. 94% from the critics. Oh, that's 90% from the audience. Yep, it is. IMDb has given an 8 out of 10 for Solid. Casino Royale. And Metacritic, 80. No badge. No badge. No badge. Oh, controversial. Yeah, no badge from Metacritic. Actually, a bit like offended by that. <laughs> I know, right? Jog on. God's sake. So, yeah. No, that was a good one, mate. That was a very good pick this week. I really enjoyed that. Really, really did. enjoyed that. that. That's in the past now, mate. That's in the past, like all those misogynistic, chauvinistic James Bond tropes. I'm focused on the future, and I want to know what I'm watching this week. So this is this is a tough one, right? Because I have two options. And okay. whilst my missus was like, look, I think you need to, you've done some very heavy films and some big, <laughs> big sort of discussions and big talking points. She's like, I think you need to lighten it up. And I was going to, but then I was like, that's what this podcast is all about, getting stuck into these big themes. Uh -oh. So, uh oh, balls to you balls to your like your, your light-hearted comedy and we will do one one week and we, we absolutely will kind of because we started with mrs doubtfire but just kind of popped into my head and i think we said it on one of the other episodes and i was like oh i'll have a bit of that that is very very kind of like 90s early noughties big questions big themes so this week i'm gonna go for the truman show oh <laughs> lovely here lovely, we go lovely and like do you know what when i when i was looking to choose and then and i just kind of that came into my head i was like yeah yeah i'll have a bit of that there's big I mean, fan there, of that a there is so that. much there to go at as well so and I, this is the other thing like, like i said to you before i'm just like i'm i'm loving listening to the pods back I'm loving watching the films again with a different eye. And now we get the added joy of seeing other people kind of getting that joy as well, like and getting to share it. So um, do please get in touch at BYOB Pod, Twitter, TikTok. We're on YouTube. We are on Instagram. We're going to try and change that username. Um, but with it, with like, I'm sure we've had loads, haven't we? We've had so many people get in touch already. Yeah. It's been lovely yeah thank you everybody i genuinely mean it it means a lot so thank you well i mean that 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 rounds us off quite nicely I, we, we sort of tried to speak at the beginning of pods well just before we came on air we had a conversation with our producer purdy we're like look we'll try and not go so long on this one and not kind of <laughs> <laughs> try and keep it relatively disciplined and then i've sort of got on some full autobiographical rant and got to got us to an hour and 42 minutes or whatever it is so yeah thank you purdy and uh thank you for listening and uh we'll see everyone next time Bye.